Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. Today, Rob Morosco shares with us God's word from the book of Job. And then to go along with Job's story, we'll hear a humorous but serious song written a few weeks ago called, Lord, it's me, I've got some complaints. But first, Pastor Rob. The end of Job chapter one, after Job has lost everything, his response is the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I I almost feel a sense of whiplash going from Esther last week and all of the the energy and the uh, joy and the humor and the significance of what happened in that story to Job this week in our weekly readings. I don't know about you, but it seems like a really sharp, fast, hard transition. The book of Job, we're 14 chapters in right now, is not necessarily a feel-good story. And, and so to kind of stay with the seriousness of that focus, I want to turn to the wisdom of, uh, well, not really a historical character, a fictional historical character, whose name is Sergeant Schultz. Some of you are already laughing because you are a fan of Hogan's Heroes. Now, I realize that by putting this picture up there and using this illustration, I am totally dating myself, and uh, I'm missing an entire generation of people. But uh, I know that Hogan's Heroes ran from 1965 to 1971 on TV. That's a long time ago. But thankfully, because of reruns and streaming... You can pretty much watch Hogan's Heroes 24 hours a day right now. And so there is a new generation of people who are a little bit more familiar with it. We meet all kinds of great characters in Hogan's Heroes, but Sergeant Schultz brings this amazing amount of wisdom and great advice to us. And I think important for us as we get going in the book of Job to hold on to what Schultz regularly said. What was his tagline? That's it. And my voice is still a little bit uh, not great. I wish that I could do the Sergeant Schultz accent. Uh, but uh, if you've watched the show, every time Schultz would, would end with, I know nothing. Now, Schultz used that as kind of chosen ignorance as he watched the prisoners in Stalag 13 do all kinds of things they shouldn't do. Schultz, in order to maintain his innocence, would say, I see nothing, I hear nothing, but would conclude with, I know nothing. And as funny as it is to hear Schultz say it, I I think actually it's pretty good wisdom for us as we consider Job and what happens. Because in the book of Job, In the book of Job, we encounter some of the hardest things that not only Job goes through, but that we also experience as well. In Job, we have questions about suffering, why and who and for how long. We have questions about Satan. How does he work? What are his limits? 
we have questions about God. Why does he allow certain things to happen? Does he see? Does he even care? And these are deep, serious questions. And then we start getting into our own lives. And, and just for us to understand, the Lovezo family continues to wait and watch with Brad, not knowing if he's going to get better or if he's going to decline. And some days it's better and worse all within a few minutes. Why did he fall? Why isn't he getting better? What's going on? We ask these questions in our own lives. Why did my dad get cancer? Why did my daughter get hurt? Why did our marriage end? Why do they pick on me? And these deep questions just roll around in our heads and in our hearts, and we want an answer. And I know it's not satisfactory, but what we encounter in the entire book of Job are a couple of really important truths that at least help us to be able to deal with this. And the first truth is this. I can't see or know enough to understand. I can't see or know enough to understand. And I, I know that this is a hard one to be able to hold on to, but I want to take you back. A couple series ago, we were in the series called The Heart of a King, and Pastor Eric, when he started that series, when he ended that series, he focused on a characteristic that those kings needed in order to be able to rule well. And that characteristic was humility. The kings needed to recognize that they needed help. They weren't self-sufficient. They needed God. They had limitations. And I think that, that same heart, that same need for humility is there for us as we dive into the book of Job. Now, we're going to read a few sections of Job. Um, this week, we had chapters 1 through 14. And, and ushers, if you want to hand out the Bibles, go ahead and do that. If you have your own Bible, we're going to start in Job chapter 1. So uh, open up your Bible, Job chapter 1, uh, and we're going to make our way all the way to the end of Job. We've only got 14 chapters that we've read this week, um, but over the next two weeks, we're going to finish up the book of Job. And I'm going to try and paint the big picture here so that as we make our way through, we get a better understanding of what's going on. Um, in Job chapter 1, there are things that we encounter that are beyond human understanding. And, well, hopefully that'll become clear as we dive into this. From Job chapter 1, these are the first 12 verses. We're going to meet the man Job and then, well, find a, a conversation that is beyond our comprehension. In Job chapter 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 
3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Look, this paints a picture of a man who is faithful, dedicated. He's concerned about not only his own spiritual welfare, but the welfare of his children We also get the understanding that Job is incredibly successful, at least in the eyes of the world. And that's the way this book starts. And then we get a glimpse into heaven. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You bless the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now again, I want to go back to this. The first truth we need to hold on to is, I can't see or know enough to understand. We have the advantage of having the entire book of Job written out for us. But Job in his life, he knew nothing about this heavenly scene. even though we get to see this heavenly scene, we still have no clue what's going on. Why are all of these people around God? Why is Satan in the presence of God? What is Satan doing? He's accusing God. The only reason Job is faithful is because you're protecting him. Take your hand away from him, he'll curse you. And then he goes and he curses Job. Why would God allow that? What is Satan trying to do? Is Satan behind all suffering? I mean, all these questions are out there. And even though we have a little bit of a glimpse into this heavenly conversation, we still don't understand. We still don't see or know enough to be able to grasp what's taking place. All we see is what comes out of it. And when we talk about suffering... On one day, on one day, Job loses all of his herds, oxen, and donkeys. On that same day, Job loses all of his flocks, thousands of sheep. On that same day, Job loses all of his camels. On that same day, Job loses all of his crops. And on that same day, 
every one of his children, all ten of them, struck down. None of us will ever be able to comprehend the grief that Job went through. What it was like to deal with that. I can't comprehend how Job can say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look, there's a point where we have to stand with Sergeant Schultz and just say, I know nothing. We can't see, we can't know enough to understand all that is taking place. And that is a, a really difficult position for us to be in because we want to know everything. We want to control everything. We want to be able to manage it, right? After that, Satan comes back to God and says, yeah, Job still hasn't cursed you, but you wouldn't let me touch his body. Let me affect his body. And over the next days, weeks, months, we actually don't know how long this goes on. Job is afflicted in his body, and his suffering only gets worse. Why? What's happening? I know it's not satisfactory. But one of the most important lessons that we understand from Job in his life is that we can't see or know enough to understand. I know some of the suffering that some of you have endured in your life. And I don't understand. Why does one person get hit with something and another person doesn't? Why is it that the people who seem like they're terrible skirt through life with no problems and those who try to be faithful face all kinds of challenges? I, I don't know. But for 36 chapters, Job and his friends try and give all kinds of explanations. Job, clearly it was something you did. Well, Job, you must have done something wrong. Job, would you just admit that you did something wrong? Job, you were wrong. If you would just say it, everything would get better. And that's the answer that we often give, right? I must have done something to deserve this. Job... He responds back and he says, I haven't, I haven't. Look, I know I'm not innocent. Job gets to the point where he acknowledges everybody's sins. I know I'm not innocent, but I don't deserve this. I don't understand. And then Job gets to the point where he's like, come on, God. Just please explain yourself. Which brings us then to God's answer. Um, if you want to turn to Job chapter 38, I'm, I'm going to really quickly summarize what God says to Job. After all of this suffering, after all of the silence, God then finally responds. And he asks Job a number of questions. Hey, Job, were you there when... And the first question he asks is, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? 
The obvious answer is no. Okay. Job, were you there when I stretched out the heavens? Were you there when I laid out all the dimensions of the earth? Job, were you there? Answer? No. Okay. All right. Job, have you fed all the animals on the earth? Have you told the ocean how far it can go? Have you, Job, told the mountains where they were supposed to be placed? Have you done that, Job? The obvious answer? No. Okay. Job, let's keep on going. Can you... I love this imagery. Last night I was looking at the stars and I saw the constellation, Orion's belt. Have you put Orion's belt on him? Have you, Job, reached your hands up into the heavens and put those stars in place? Have you done that? The obvious answer is no. And then he gets into the Leviathan and the behemoth and the lightning and the storms and all the things that God does. And God asks all of these questions of Job, and he says, Job, have you? Were you? Can you? Could you ever? And Job finally gets to the point where he has to answer God and say, God, I can't see enough. I don't know enough to understand. If you want to look in Job chapter 40, this is the first response that Job has. Job chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered and said, Look, God, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? Oh, God. I put my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once. And I will not answer twice. But I will proceed no further. And Job just acknowledges, God, I can't see or know enough to understand what's happening. When it comes to the question of suffering, why it happens, why it happens to certain people, how it takes its form, we just have to get to a point where we acknowledge I don't understand. And I know that is not satisfactory. But it's the best we can do. That would probably be a, a good place to stop. But it's also a really terrible place to stop. And it's not where God stops. 
God goes on and starts to speak to Job again and lays out even more of what he has done. Because now that Job has gotten to the point where he acknowledges, I can't understand, God wants to make sure that there's enough that Job knows that he can do something else. And this is the other big truth that I want you to hold on to. We may not be able to see or know enough to understand, but we can see and know enough to trust. Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? No, you weren't. But God revealed to us that he laid the foundations of the earth. He revealed to us how he laid the foundations of the earth. He revealed to us the process that he used. He revealed to us the care. He revealed to us that he's involved. So we can know enough to know that there's someone who laid the foundations of the earth and is paying attention. Job wasn't there to feed all the animals. But every single day, God is providing rain, soil, crops to be able to continue to feed the animals, even the human ones in this world. And really, we don't do a whole lot to control that. Were you there, Job, when I told the waters where they could go, where I told the mountains? No, you weren't, Job, but I was. And God continues to reveal himself to us so that even though it's beyond our understanding, what we do see about God, what we do learn about God, what we do know about God is that he is very much involved in this world and not just letting things unfold into chaos, but is managing them, controlling them, and And getting right down into our suffering with us. The prophet Isaiah, he carries the word of God to the people. And, and he brings this word, talking about the servant that God will send. So surely he was acquainted with our sorrow and familiar with our suffering. This God who laid out the entire universe stepped into our flesh so that he could be acquainted with our sorrow and be familiar with our suffering. Jesus, when he's on the boat with his disciples and the storm comes up, he sees the fear in their eyes. He understands it because they know they're going to die. And he's very familiar with that. Jesus, when, when Jairus comes to him and he, he says, my daughter, she's died. Jesus goes to the house and he meets with mom and dad and with the rest of the family. And he knows their grief. 
He's familiar with our sorrows. He knows our suffering. Jesus, he goes to, to Mary and to Martha when their, their brother, his good friend Lazarus, died. And we hear these words, just really short verse. Jesus wept because he saw what they were going through and he was experiencing that too. God is familiar with your suffering. He knows your pain. He's right smack dab in the middle of it. As Jesus hangs on that cross, he experiences the worst physical pain that anyone in this world could ever endure, way more than what Job went through. And he hungers and he thirsts. He gets it. He understands it. And when we realize that this is our God, well, we can see and know enough, at least, to trust him. That if he's willing to get into our lives like that, our world like this, then we can trust that, that he'll take us through it. I know that's not a total answer. There is not a complete answer. For Job at the end, he finally just says, Okay, God. We can't know enough to understand, but, but thanks be to God, he's revealed himself to us. He's revealed enough to us that we can see and know enough to trust him. We throw out these uh, verses to remember uh, if you use the weekly email and look at the sermon notes, every week there's a verse to remember. If you're using the YouVersion app, uh, down there at the bottom in the notes is the verse to remember. Uh, the goal of this is to be able to give you a nugget to hold on to. There's no way to find one verse in all of Job that summarizes this, but Paul actually catches it really, really well. This is from Romans 11, chapter 30, or verse 33. Will you read this verse with me? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. That last phrase, how what? Unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Paul just acknowledges it. I can't understand but Paul uses those words in the context of God's incredible work of salvation to rescue Jews and Gentiles, all people. And though we can't understand how it all unfolds, all of it is serving the purpose of rescuing, saving, restoring. I can't see it, God. 
but I trust you. Let's pray. I think I want to be able to see more, God. I think so. But honestly, that's a little bit scary. Because I know I can't handle that. My brain is too limited, God. Even in the best of my strength, I'm too weak. Thank you, God, that you have shown us, revealed to us enough. Enough to know that you are with us and that you love us and that you are in work, at work. That's enough. Amen. This song coming up was written a few weeks ago by Heather Choate Davis, Eleanor Paulison, and myself. And I asked Ellie to tell you more about the meaning of this humorous but serious song written in the style of a psalm of lament. Well, I'm not sure what to say about this song other than we had a great time trying to write it started a little bit as a joke but by the time we were finished we kind of realized how accurate the song is how many times do we say to the lord why are you doing it this way you could have just done this or i would have at least done this and we're not intentionally trying to <laughs> upstage the lord or assume that we could do it better but we do kind of kind of judge a little bit about his decisions and his timing or whatever. I know I've done that a lot. But at the end of the day, you know, the Holy Spirit two-by-fours us, and we go, oh, that's not what we meant. And we are able to sit back and go, all right, all right, all right, all right. I surrender to you. What I find interesting about that phenomenon is that I would say if you asked me if I thought I could do it better, I would tell you no. If you asked me whether or not I question God or question his love for me, I would tell you no. Of course not. If you ask me whether or not I would do anything the Lord asks me to do, I would say yes. But still I find myself in situations where I'm going, really, Lord? So we had a good time writing this song, and I do uh, appreciate the resolution at the end. kind of reminds me of David. And how he has lots of questions and frustrations. But at the end of every psalm, he, well, maybe not everyone. But at the end of a lot of his psalms, he goes back to what he knows is true. And that is that the Lord is holy and worthy to be praised and trusted. Lord, it's me.